All right. Well, we are in Book of Luke, Luke chapter four, and uh, your outline might say verse twenty-two, but I'm going to start with verse sixteen this morning and go through verse thirty. Verse thirty. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. You know, Jesus believed in church. And, uh, uh, the synagogue was the gathering on the, the Lord, uh, on the, on the Sabbath. And he made sure he was in, in, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And on that day he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not, is not this Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel In the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which there was, on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. I don't know if you've noticed the title of the sermon this morning, but it's uh, From Hero to Zero in One Sermon. You know, that's that's never happened to me. I, I've shared some things that have upset people before, but here Jesus is a hero coming into his hometown, and in one sermon, they want to kill him. You know, what's go- what's going on here? Um you know they're impressed with Jesus. They've they've heard the stories that have been going throughout Galilee. Now they're not in the book of Luke, but Jesus has done some amazing things in in the in the Gospel of John. 
chapters 1 through 4, before coming to his hometown of Nazareth. And um, so they're hearing these things. Jesus has come back home, and uh, they're so impressed. They're thinking to themselves, finally something good has come from Nazareth. And they're watching Jesus in the synagogue, and he's reading the scripture. They're saying to themselves, oh, isn't he handsome? Isn't he articulate? Look how he's grown and mature. And it's probably like a lot of what we say when people who are on the mission field that have grown up in this church have come back and to share their stories like Joyce Kwan or, or um, Jessica Linderman or Ryan and Emily Butes or my son Kyle. And they're impressed. And yet... As Jesus finishes uh, reading from the book of Isaiah, in verse 19, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and he stops. He doesn't finish the rest of the book or the rest of the verse. And I just want to read to you, I shared this last week, but I, I want to just uh, read what he didn't say. Because this caught the Jews' attention in the synagogue. Verse 2 says, the last part of that verse says, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. I mean, these Jews, they are looking forward to the day of vengeance where their enemies are going to get what's coming to them. But Jesus skipped that part. And so... All these wonderful things that he's, that they're thinking and saying about Jesus, suddenly they begin to ask the question, whoa, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this just Jesus? And they begin to question who Jesus is. And, uh, Jesus says something uh, profound here. He says that a prophet is not welcome in his own hometown. He understands that um, the uh, this familiarity of a person breeds contempt, and they're beginning to see Jesus as not being the Messiah, but just a regular person. And Jesus is saying, "Listen, I'm a prophet." You know, and again, this is another hint of from Luke of who Jesus is. Not only is Jesus the the second perfect Adam, not only is Jesus the uh, the perfect Israel, and and uh, it, and you know, this is the year of jubilee. But Jesus is saying, and I'm a prophet. Everything that you read in the Old Testament is cul- culminates in me. I'm a prophet, and prophets aren't thought very highly of. Do you have a prophet in your life? Now, a prophet in the Bible isn't necessarily someone who foretells the future. He's also a person who sees white and black. He's God's spokesman. And uh, and so they, they call things as they see them. you have anybody in your life that calls things as they see them? You know? They can see white from black. They're not very popular, are they? They don't have a whole lot of friends. But you know what? Prophets are important in the church because they help keep the church pure. 
uh, on the right track. And so it's important that we have prophets in the church. And here Jesus is saying that he is a prophet. And he's about to lay out something that's really going to irk them. It's really going to upset them. Because he sees what's going on inside these people. You know, these these Jews, they think they're part of the in crowd with God. They have God's approval. And uh, they, they are the covenant people of God. They've been circumcised. And so they have God's favor. And Jesus has shared his mission in verses uh, 18 and 19. And he knows what they're thinking in their minds. They're thinking, well, we're not one of them. We're not blind. We're not poor. We're obviously not in prison. We're here in this synagogue. We're not, well, they, they are oppressed by their enemies. But they're thinking that they are better than those whom Jesus has come to minister to. And Jesus is going to tell two stories right now, conveying to these people in this church, this synagogue, that you are worse than the people in these stories. Jesus is going to talk about their enemies. Jesus is going back 800, approximately 850 years to the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Uh, the first story is referring to uh, a famine that's going on in the land. And the famine's been taking place for three and a half years. People are hungry. People are destitute in Israel. And there's a prophet, Elijah. And God sends Elijah to the enemy. He sends Elijah to a Canaanite woman in another country, one of the enemies of Israel. And God is going to bless a Canaanite woman over all the people who are in Israel at that time that are having a, a very hard time. There's a famine in the land. And uh, we're not going to go and read the story this morning, but the story is in First Kings uh, chapter 17. God sends Elijah to this uh, widow, has a son. She's out collecting sticks because she wants she needs to build a fire to prepare a meal so that her son might be able to live one more day. She says that she's preparing a meal uh, so that he can die. And God tells Elijah to ask this woman to provide him with some food. Here she doesn't have enough food for herself, let alone her son. And Elijah's making a, a, a request that she feed him. And Elijah says, if you'll feed me, God promises that he will keep your jars full so that you will have sustenance every single day, as long as this drought exists. And this widow, who has nothing, obeys God, and God provides. That's the first story, a Canaanite woman. And then... Jesus talks about the leprosy. 
there's leprosy in Israel. There's the prophet Elisha. But God doesn't use Elisha to heal any of the lepers in Israel. God is in, instead is going to heal a Syrian army commander, an enemy of Israel. This commander, his name is Naaman. He has leprosy. I mean, he is... Um, He's desperate for healing. There's lepers in Israel, and he has a leper as a, a very important person in Syria. Um, Naaman went on a raid, the Bible says. And uh, when they got, went on this raid, they would kill the men of Israel, and they would uh, take cap in, into captivity the women and children. Well, in taking these, these people back to Syria... Uh, Naaman kept one of the little girls from some home, and she became a servant to Naaman and uh, his household. She understands that Naaman has leprosy, and she knows that there's a prophet in Israel, Elisha, who can heal him of his leprosy. And so she tells Naaman, Naaman goes to the king of Syria, gets permission to go to Israel. Um, he goes to uh, Israel, talks to the king of Israel, and asks for healing. And the king of Israel says, I'm not God, I can't heal you. And he tears his clothes. And uh, Elisha hears of that story and sends message, tell Naaman to come to me. Naaman goes to see Elisha, thinking that he's going to have a face-to-face with Elisha. He doesn't. Elisha sends one of his servants, tells his servant, go tell Naaman to go to the Jordan River and dip yourself seven times in the River Jordan. Naaman is offended. Why doesn't he come out and talk to me? Why doesn't he come and put his hand, wave his arms, and pray over to God, asking him to he- God to heal me? Instead, he sends his servant. And so Naaman just wants to, he thinks that's a bunch of hogwash, and he just wants to leave. Well, one of the people in Naaman's entourage says, don't you think it would be a good idea? This is what the man of God has told you to do. And he goes out, and he does it. And God heals Naaman. Again, God blesses the enemies of Israel rather than the people of God, the covenant people of God. Jesus tells those two stories in the synagogue and the people become furious. And what is Jesus trying to convey? That those individuals 850 years ago are better than those who are sitting in the synagogue. Why? Because they are needy and desperate for him. See, the people of Israel, they didn't need God. They didn't go to the prophets, uh, Elijah and Elisha. And now a prophet is standing before them. He's given them his mission statement of who he's coming to minister to, to. And they see themselves in a different category than who Jesus came to serve and minister to. My friends, you want 
You want the blessing of God in your life. You want God to touch your life. You've got to be willing to see yourself as poor, as blind, as a prisoner, oppressed. Those are the people Jesus has come to touch. And those are the people that our church must align ourselves with and see ourselves as so that we can be a healing bomb, an answer of hope in people who, with people who come through our doors. A couple months ago, I cast vision for our church. And uh, one of the things that I talked about was the fact that we needed to provide some kind of recovery ministry. And this was bigger than anything that we could accomplish among us here in our church. I was at a ministerial meeting a couple weeks ago, and I met a gentleman by the name of Sean Kelly. Sean has a hope recovery ministry in in uh, Chino, not Chino, Corona, Corona. And uh, he's looking to come to Ridgecrest to open a satellite facility. And he's been to uh, three churches in our community so far, and he has received overwhelming support. Uh, the ministers who were part of this association meeting are enthusiastic about it. Church, we need to be a part of this ministry. And I've asked Sean to come and, and just share a little bit about his story and uh, how God has brought him to this point and how we might be able to help. So please welcome Sean Kelly. Well, thank you, guys. Um, am I on? Okay, I am on. You know, I I have a question for you guys. Um, how many of you felt have ever felt hopeless or just empty that you sort of messed things up so bad that there was just no way there was no way you could really make any sense of it? Um, be honest with you, I, I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, about six years ago, one of the biggest mistakes I made was was my lifestyle. Um, was my was what I was doing. I was working a lot. I was um, I wasn't eating very good. I was going through a divorce. Started drinking. I started doing um, prescription drugs. A lot of them. And one day it all caught up with me. Um, I had three heart attacks in one day. And two of the heart attacks killed me. Um, they had to actually bring me back to life. Shocked me a couple times. Performed CPR on me. All those different things. And, um, you know, even after that I really didn't get it. I had to um, have the beginning stages of cirrhosis of the liver. Got beat up. Left for dead. And then, um, then one day, somebody introduced me to Christ. And, and I tell you guys, I fell in love with him. I, I fell in love with him. He was that hope. He was that answer I was looking for. He, um, and still is to this day. And, um, it, 
I, I could honestly talk about him all day long. Um, just the things that he's done in my life, in my family's life, in my friend's life. You know, um, we have a saying at Hope Recovery, with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. Well, before I even get to that, I want to talk about obedience. And obedience is what he was telling me all the time. Obedience, 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 obedience. Okay, Lord, I, I, I don't understand. Just go to church. Just just go to Sunday school. Just teach the kids. Just get up in front of this church and just speak your story. Why? Why? I'll bless you with that obedience. And and he has blessed me, you guys. I really my life was was nothing. At at one point of my my life was just nothing. I didn't know how to get my myself out of that hole. I dug myself in, but Christ did. He he shared with me um, to start a small group, and this small group was a, just a little Bible study. We um, we met on Friday nights, and it was really for the people who were drug addicts, who were alcoholics, who were hurting, who were lost. Maybe they were single. Maybe they were um, a single mom with with a couple kids, just not really fitting in exactly. And and so I start this. What do I know about running a Bible study? I nothing really. Um, I could share my story, and that's sort of what we did. But it wasn't it wasn't typical. We really we put God in the center of that room, and we just watched Him work, and He worked. And I don't care if there was only one other person in that room. God says, when two or more gather, He is among us. And we just had that obedience to just keep going and going and going. It might have been two of us, might have been three of us, might have been five for, for a year. It didn't matter. It was that obedience and that sacrifice that, that we made. And he has just blessed this ministry. It's actually turned into a ministry. I just thought it would just be this little Friday night thing. It's turned into a ministry and it's called Hope Recovery Center. Um, and we're down in Corona, but what is awesome is that obedience is paying off even more. God wants to expand this. And crazy, I live in Corona, somehow I end up here, and God really is blessing this ministry. I was able to share for about two or three minutes at my friend's church, just a little bit of my story, and afterwards a lady comes up and says, my, my son is struggling. My son would love a hope recovery. And I'll get, in a minute, I'll tell you guys a little bit more about it. He would love a hope recovery. How can we get one of those up here? Because Ridgecrest needs one. We have nothing. If anyone wants help, we have to go to Bakersfield. We have to go down to Palmdale. And I'm like, money? So, she gives me a building. Okay. So, (laughs) I'm telling you guys, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And that obedience. I, we got a building? Okay. So we're opening up a Hope Recovery up here, right down the road. And what Hope Recovery is, is a place for anybody with a hurt, with a habit, with an addiction, who's lonely, who needs some food. We are a nonprofit, 501c3, all the technical terms, but we are Christ-centered. We 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 put... Christ right there in the center of our life and and watch him work. We have one-on-one counseling. We have group therapy. We have small groups. We have Bible studies. We we teach people how to go get a job. We have vocational training, academic training. You name it, 
And, and we just try to give that resource. Try to um, give people some hope and purpose in their life. I remember when I lost that, and, and it was for a while, I never thought I would get it back. And, um, and, and God showed me how to get it back. And, and I want to, I want to show other people. So in the beginning of, um, this coming year, we are going to open up Hope Recovery up here. And here's the awesome thing that I love saying so much. It's free. We don't charge anything for it. This is God's ministry. And He, He has put us in charge of it. And we just want to share this with, with all you. And you're probably thinking, okay, how's it free? Well, we all were able to get here this morning, right? We we had a car. We were able to maybe have some coffee. So the point I'm getting at is there, there's other people in this community that we know that are a little bit more blessed than others. So we ask for donations. We're all privately funded, um, but God has been good. He, we have been open for almost two years. And every month, I don't know how we're going to make the rent, but every month he just shows up. And and we have made the rent. We have done a lot of fundraisers, um, all sorts of things. But it's really what's kept me sober, what's kept me sane. Um, it's just awesome. It, it really is. So coming up, November 2nd, we are going to have a meeting down at my other friend's church. I have a lot of friends up here now. My other friend, Bill, Pastor Bill, he's at Crossroads Church. And we're going to have a leader of leader meetings because I'm asking you guys to come together as a community to help this community with all the different things that are going on up here. I know we can make a difference. I don't think I and six people here that I brought with me can make a difference, but I think we can make a difference. I think four or five, ten other churches that are right behind us can make a humongous difference in this community and really something to be proud of. So I ask you guys, November 2nd, 7 p.m. is a Friday night. Come down there. We're going to show a little bit more of what Hope Recovery is. I'm going to show you guys some pictures. I'm going to show you the 100 people that have gone through our program. I'm going to show you the 25 people that we've baptized. I'm going to show you some awesome things. So thank you, Pastor Bill, so much for letting me come up. And, you know, I want to share one other thing I forgot. That's right. You know, everyone in this in this room has a story. Everyone in this room has a testimony, and that's yours. And it's awesome what God gives it to you for. And he gave me my testimony, and but he also tells me to share it. <laughs> share it, you know, because who else out there, you, you never know who else out there might need to hear your story, might need to say, you know something, maybe I'm not alone. And, and that's what he's let me do is share my story. So maybe it could become, you know, something. It could help you out. I don't know. But also 50% of every book we sell goes right back into the ministry to keep it open. And um, so I ask you guys after service, we're back there. We have a table. Come back, get some information, purchase the book. We have some wristbands, some other things, and um, get more information on it. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. I want to pray for Sean. This is exactly what Ridgecrest needs, and I'm so glad that uh, God has brought Sean Sean here, and uh, we want to pray for him and his ministry. And if you are interested in being involved at, on any level, um, please see him in the dining hall as to how you can get more involved. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that uh, Sean's ministry truly aligns with Jesus, your ministry, and whom you came to seek and to save. 
And Lord, I pray that you'd continue to affirm his obedience to you as he continues to step out in faith. And Lord, I know that you want to use the people of God here in this community to make a dream become a reality. And there are so many people, Lord, who are hurting, who have no place to turn. And God, I pray that we would be a church where people can come and know that there's love here and Jesus is here. And I thank you for a ministry like Hope Recovery who provides ministry Monday through Saturday. And that need that people desperately have for you. God, bless this ministry. Show us as a church how we can come alongside to make much of Jesus in this community. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Sean. Well, my friend, Jesus didn't come for those whose acts are together. Jesus came for those whose acts aren't together, who need lots of help. Jesus was in this synagogue, and the followers of God wanted Jesus to impress them. Show us something, Jesus. We've heard what you've been doing elsewhere. Show us, show us now. Jesus couldn't because Jesus saw them as thinking that their act was together. Jesus only comes and performs miracles in people's lives who are needy and desperate for him. So my question to you is, what audience do you find yourself in? The poor, the blind, the prisoner, the oppressed? Or do you find yourself in the self-righteous category? If you're in the self-righteous category, God can't do a thing in your life. You have to come to the end of yourself. All of us need Jesus. And he's speaking. But we must be listening. There was an advertisement for a telegraph operator. This was before uh, phones and computers and cell phones. People at one time used to communicate through a telegraph where just a series of tapping and meant different letters and words. And um, there was a job in an opening. And so the, there was this one guy who read the advertisement, went for the interview. And uh, the room was filled with people waiting for this interview. And he sat down with everybody else. There was a lot of noises going on. And after a few moments, that that guy that had come in last got up, walked through the door, And those who were still in the waiting room began to laugh. Who does he think he is? Um, You know, they know he's not going to get the job because he jumped to the head of the line. And a few minutes later, 
the owner of the company came through that door into the waiting room with this gentleman and said, folks, all of you can leave. We've found the person for this job. And they think to themselves and they say, that's not fair. We've been here a lot longer than this guy. How does he get the job? He listened to the message because in that waiting room, there was a a telegraph message being tapped out saying, if you understand this message, come and come through the door. The job is yours. Folks, we live in a day and age where there are 10,000 messages pulverizing our minds daily. And a lot of those messages convince us that we're good. And we don't need God. All we need to do is just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and keep going. When God is saying through his word, I come to seek and save those who are lost. Not those who are well, but those who are in need of a physician. If you are desperate for him, guess what? You qualify for God's love in your life. I don't know why you came this morning. But I want you to know, if you're new and you've looked around, you feel like you don't measure up, my friend, come back. Because the gospel is all about what Jesus did for us that we can't do for ourselves. To go back and read Second Kings chapter 5 when Naaman went down to the river and he finally obeyed God and dipped himself seven times in that dirty Jordan water. The Bible says his, his skin was transformed like a newborn baby skin. Don't you love to feel lily skin? It's so soft, so pure. That's what happened to Naaman's skin. And that's what happens to our souls spiritually, my friend, when we obey him. There's rivers of living water that begin to flow through your heart and life. Maybe for the first time, maybe once again, That's where we recommit ourselves to him. Folks, that's his message to all of us. And if you think you've got your act together, you're not hearing the telegraph message. I want us to pray. And then I want us to stand and I want us to sing that song, Everlasting, again. Can we do that, Jeff? Let's pray. Worship team, you come on up. Father, I thank you for Jesus' words that went over like a lead balloon with this religious crowd and they wanted to kill him. Jesus, I pray we would not respond in that way that we would not see ourselves as self-righteous, religious, 
but we would see ourselves like Naaman and the Canaanite woman. Desperate for your hand of touch and healing in our life. In the quietness of this moment, my friend, do some soul searching. Where did you find yourself in walking into this room? If you're the religious one, repent. You're no better than anyone else. And that includes your enemies. Christian, is there an enemy in your life this morning that you don't want God to bless? I want to challenge you this morning to do something kind for them this week. Be a conduit of God's blessing to your enemy. You got a name? There's someone God wants me to call this week. Just let them know I'm going praying for them because they're going through a hard time. I don't want to do that. But God wants me to do that. If you're here this morning and you feel unworthy, my friend, God loves you. God wants to do something in your life that you can't do for yourself. Trust him. Jesus, thank you for your words of truth. May we obey them. In Christ's name.